0: It really comes down to just being aligned. I think a lot of CEOs that end up being failed CEOs make the mistake of thinking when they hire vendors, it's their job now and it's not my business. Same thing with executives. I've learned this lesson too. When you hire people, you still got to get them up to speed. You got to work with them. You got to be there to support them and enable them. The moment you turn either your own employees or your vendors into a punching bag is the moment you lose your own business. Like They want this as much as you do. So the moment you turn it into an adversarial relationship, you're just screwing yourself. And I see that happen, not a lot, but it happens. And it's always, at this point, I've been through it enough. You have to roll your eyes at it. Like You're just screwing yourself. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host,
1: Joe Momo. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Obviously you're a marketing expert. You have Hawk Media, uh, founder of Hawk Media. Um, and you're also doing some great things in the LA community at CEcom week coming up. Um, but yeah. before we jump into all that, how about you give us a little backstory of who Eric is kind of your origin story and what you're up to.
0: <sighs> sure. Sorry. Of course. Um, i <laughs> working from home. Got the dogs going off. Uh, yeah. So origin story, born in LA, grew up in Ohio. uh, was the son of an entrepreneur who was the son of an entrepreneur. So took the idea of starting a business is basically, that's just what you did, um, which is a really nice place to grow up. And so, uh, yeah, I've you know always took jobs. When I took jobs, it was always about learning something so that I could parlay it into my own businesses. I started my fir- own first little business when I was 8, selling and buying Beanie Babies. And made a few thousand dollars as an eight-year-old, so yeah, just always wanted to build stuff, and like that's still to this day is what drives me. Is I love building and growing things and trying new things and learning, and so fortunate that I get to do that as my career. So,
1: absolutely. What what, what would you say your unique skill is? You say you love building things, but um, what would you say if you have to boil down at one skill or one superpower that Eric has? What would you say that that is?
0: Yeah, it it's. Uh, it's a combination of sales and marketing. It's growth. It's like per, per, the art of persuasion, the ability to present value. Like that's where like, I feel I found the perfect niche for myself where I know how to talk to companies and present our value to get clients. But then I also know how to present their value to their customers. So I create value by presenting by big value chain, but yeah, it's the, uh, that's really where I found my talent and found it a long time ago. I took a sales job when I was 19 and broke all their records that my first summer doing it and you know, for, for the first time heard the term, I can sell ice to Eskimos and double <laughs> down from there.
1: No, that's awesome. Um, yeah. first there's a little bit of context of what Hawk Media does. Uh, maybe something that uh, Hawk Media does that maybe even your clients or obviously the people listening don't know about.
0: Sure. So yeah, I mean, Hawk Media is basically an outsourced CMO and marketing team to companies. So we go into brands, Identify holes in what they're doing in marketing, and then we can spin up experts all a la carte month to month based on what the company's needs are. So, the idea behind it was to create accessibility to great marketing. So, not allowing, you know, what we found was really talented marketers individually or really good agencies generally are really hard to work with. They're expensive, want long contracts, high minimums. And so, and everyone else frankly just doesn't know what they're doing. So, let's just take them all out of the picture. So, the idea was let's get people that know what they're doing, but also make it accessible. And so, That's what we've done. Um, We pretty much can handle marketing departments soup to nuts, but it's all a la carte, so we can complement internal teams. And we really like to collaborate, so that's a big part of it. Um, We also have a venture fund, so we do a lot of investing in our own ecosystem, mostly in marketing technology. So if we see a really good software that really works well for our clients, we like to put money behind it.
1: Well, cool. Uh, Kind of on that note, uh, what are some of the key elements of a a great brand, would you say? You say you do all these investing, but... Um, just from a consumer point of view, what's, what's, a how does it, what does a great brand look like?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a great question. A great brand really stands for a value people are missing. I think is what, what happens. It's like something is missing in someone's life because every purchase is aspirational and not in a grandiose way necessarily, but like, you have to realize that if you buy a new blank t-shirt, it's generally because you don't have enough t-shirts, your old t-shirts are dirty or ripped, or there's a reason you buy even the most basic things and you're aspiring for a change in your current existence, even if that's a basic one. And so the best brands out there are ones that stand for more larger pictures of you know what people are suffering through. Even some of the more recent brands that have done really well in our generation, like dollar shave club, where it was like, yeah, razors are overpriced and hard to replace and a pain in the butt and have to think about it. And here's something that solves all, all of them. And they're funny. So I like them. So they're likable and they solve all my problems. I'm in. So that was, you know, it, it does come down to that basic, you know, human instinct because it's all emotional. People's purchases are mostly driven by emotion. They justify it in logic, but it's an emotional appeal. And so it's finding, where you fit in that emotional appeal and what, what can drive that, that really creates a great brand.
1: Absolutely. No, I love that. Um, it's funny, actually, we started the interview, we, we heard your dog there, but um, with obviously with the pandemic going on, uh, people are working from home more often. Um, for you personally, Eric, have you found, um, I guess, what challenges have you found from working from home compared to pre COVID?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really just the nuance of culture like operationally we've never been better. We're actually having record months, you know, we've cut a lot of expenses by not having to be in person. We've cut a lot of expenses just by looking at wasted softwares and things because we were forced to when COVID hit. We didn't have to lay anyone off during COVID either. And so it's really just been, uh, the business has operated well, but a lot of the reason for that I think is because we had years of being together that when we went remote, they already had that camaraderie built. To continue to build that, I think, is very difficult remotely. So, we're working through ideas that, frankly, we can't implement till post-COVID anyways, but we're working through ideas of what would that be once it opens, whether it's literally just having beach days and things like that, to like once a week meetings in the office for teams, to once a month, all hands, whatever that looks like,
1: we're still figuring out. Gotcha. On a more personal note, though, what sort of challenges have you seen? Um, Is it struggle with uh, work-life balance or is it just find your own?
0: Yeah, it's the Zoom fatigue thing. It's people are staring at screens all day, every day. And I think, and I don't have any real study around this, just a personal anecdote. I think because when you're on camera, you're afraid to move and you're afraid to look away. That's the, like, there's a big exhausting part of that. Because if you just turn your camera off, I think that will eliminate a lot of it because like, I'm used to having half-hour phone calls every half hour, 10 hours a day has been my career for seven years. So nothing changed there. It's just now a lot of them are on Zoom, which I hated using before and I hate using now. But like, I shouldn't say hate. There is a little bit that you need that face-to-face and since we can't get in person, it's nice. But I think the fact that every call now has to be on Zoom has gotten a little ridiculous. I think that's exhausting. So, uh, and also... And the nice thing is I ran a company from home before. So I know about like you gotta close your computer at one point and like the day's over. So like keeping your schedule is really important. I think people that aren't used to it and aren't getting that advice are probably having trouble with that work life line, so to speak. And I like harmony already. I like that it all interacts with each other and that I'm, you know, I hang out with work friends and that I, you know, work on things that are fun and it all kind of plays together. But I think that a lot of people that do want that escape really aren't figuring out how to have that for themselves yet. And I don't have that issue. Um, I do feel like I'm working a little harder than I used to, but that's because, frankly, I don't have other things to do, so I might as well. But I think some of our people, for a while, had a hard time separating them, the two. And that's, they see, people seem to be starting to learn how to do that, though.
1: Right, right. Um, early in the interview, you mentioned that you come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, but more specifically, what's kind of been the best resources that's helped you along the way?
0: really good people around me i've like network has I've always been kind of a solid networker and put an emphasis on it and so and not networking for the same in networking, but like meeting people that I respect that I want to learn from and so I've kept in touch and so I consistently try to meet people that are doing something way better than I am in a certain category so that I can learn from them and how they're doing it, and that you know even includes marketing help it includes how to build a sales team. It includes how to build an operation, how to run a service business. Like I'm currently getting advice from a friend that built a company 10 times my size in my industry and sold it as to how to do that. And so I try to, it's, it's never a, like I hate the idea of my mentor. Like it's like one person. I call many different people for many different things that they are experts in. Because if you have one mentor, you inherit their uh, mistakes and their problems and their uh, sort of their weak weaknesses too. But if I go to them for what they're strong at, um, and frankly, my dad being one of them, I go to him for the like, no bullshit. He has no idea anything about my business. He can't give me advice on how to operate my specific business. But if I'm thinking through something and I have my my own bullshit radars going off, I, he's the perfect guy to run it by and be like, does this sound like bullshit? And he'll say yes or no very quickly. <laughs> so that I know I can go to my dad for that, but I would never go to him for how to manage my people because that's not his business.
1: Right. No, I love that. Um, just to give some value for the listeners, say we have lots of people that are entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, but how do you really build those connections and relationships? Like what sort of, um, I guess I don't, I don't like to use the word tactics, but what sort of ways would you go along building that kind of mentor ish relationship with somebody?
0: I, I mean, I think you have to provide value to people if they were, they're going to provide value in some way. So one of those could be just being likable in a person they want to hang out with. Like the value doesn't have to be, um, you know, professional value either. But I think, again, people, I see it all the time. People go to networking events and hand out business. I haven't had a business card in like four years. But like they go around to networking events and hand out business cards, like that's ever going to do anything. And like, I get pinged all the time. Like, hey, we should grab coffee. Why? Like, why do I like, you know, it's like, take this a step further. Like don't, people, especially people, like, and I'm not, I'm not even speaking to myself, but a lot of the people that I respect that I take time from, I know that their time is precious. And, you know, for them to take a half hour, an hour with me, like, I better have a good, good reason. And one of those reasons could be because they want to help me, but then I got to find a way to make it that they want to help me. And so, and people don't want a pity party either. So when I say that, I want to make sure it's not construed with like, go beg people for their time because you need help. But Making it so that you're likable, or be, or they know that they're, you know, their time invested in you is worth it, and that's a big one that I see a lot on the other side. Because I get asked now to advise and mentor a lot of people. If I can give someone advice and I see them run through a wall with it and turn it into a company, and like, I my time was there was a lever on my time with them that, and it, by the way, doesn't have to pay me back. I just know that I spent an hour with this guy, and now he's taken that and run with it for three months and built something amazing, and my advice helped that. That makes me feel like my time was valuable, that it was worth spending the time, again, from even an altruistic standpoint, that that person's taking to its success. The other side of that is when I talk to the same person for six, this exists, six years of meeting up with someone, talking about their newest business idea, and they never hear me out, they never take my advice, they never end up with any success, and they never do anything, you get to the point where you're like, why the hell am I doing this? So I think you have to actually value that time and use it and use it wisely and get what you need out of it, not just take it for granted.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with that. And it's funny, you mentioned that people always hit you up saying, Oh, let's grab a coffee, let's grab a coffee. So I'm sure you've listened to a ton of pitches, a ton of questions. But maybe what's one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked?
0: Yeah, there was I got a good one the other day, and I now can't remember. It. I actually sent it to my sales team, and it was the the funny thing was it was someone trying to pitch me, and I was like, hey, I don't need this, but you crushed it. Like <laughs> I, I I actually read your full email because, uh, God, I can't remember that example. Honestly, I I don't I guess I I don't I, and I don't want to. This is an extreme way of putting it, but I don't believe in a victim complex. Like I don't wait on anyone to ask me what I need. I just do it. So like, I'm not really waiting for anything. I don't wait. I don't rely on other people to come to me. If I need something, I go find it. So there isn't really anything I'm waiting for someone to ask me. It's more if they want my attention. Um, I think it just like any sales, like how can you, you know, you have to, you can't just make a grant. Like, first off, you have to show that you're going to provide value with the things I care about. But you just saying you can provide value with the things I care about. I don't know who you are. So I don't trust you. And that, that's a part of it too. So you have to build trust and display that you actually understand what, I, what matters to me. The example I give is I get many daily emails to, with someone saying they can drive us leads. And I know most of them, like, I, there's only one company which was referred to me by a friend that has ever done a good job on that. Usually it's a giant pile of crap that they send me and I get to pay for it. So you know, taking it a step further as to why I should work with you, not you. Cause a lot of those people go, we can drive you leads at a great cost-effective rate. I'm like, yeah, it sounds like they're not going to convert for shit. So you don't know your own business. You don't, cause you're not presenting exact value. So if you told me we have leads, this is what they convert at. This is what we're going to do. Here's why. So that, it, cause I don't trust you. So explain to me the process behind this so I can feel comfortable with it. Then maybe you can get some attention from me sincerely. right? But, and right. that's one example. And there's a many other, you know, needs in a company but i think part of the problem too is a lot of businesses are started when there isn't really a need for it and so they go around pitching this need and everyone's like i don't really that's not a pain point for me and i'm good
1: yeah absolutely no, i love that and i
0: got one recently like, don't you wish you could send more video messages we have the tool to do that i was like actually no i don't really <laughs> want a video send I, emails fucking fine
1: thank you yeah, exactly it's worked fine for the <laughs> yeah. time being yeah no, absolutely um speaking of that what's kind of something that's on the forefront of your mind, like something that you're really curious about right now?
0: Um, I, so I, I had written off VR and I had said like, this is, nobody likes it. It's isolating, da, da, da. And then I actually got asked by an organization I'm in called YPO to help host a VR event. So I had to go do my research and through playing with it a little more and using it, I actually have come around to think that there is an opportunity there that still is not even close to taking advantage of. But I think that You know, as innovation happens in that space, and you've got literally Facebook last week launched their new hardware with Oculus, I I think that there's going to be something there that's a lot more interesting than I originally anticipated. I still don't know whether that's just going to be entertainment. Like, is it going to replace PlayStation or is it going to actually be a true tool? Um, I think there's room for it to be a tool, but I think the technology has a long way to go before that. Like, when they have gloves that actually are sensors and like you can really just be yourself in VR, I think. And that'll come. I think technology will be there. That's going to be super interesting. Um, marketing standpoint, uh, the most interesting part is just what's happened with COVID. It basically accelerated all our predictions five years, meaning the market share of consumer spending online went from 13 to 30% in three months, or actually in a month, and held. So I, I think that, you know, thankfully being in more of the digital and e-commerce industry more than anything, we things that we would have normally waited five years to grow are now massively accelerated. So I think... For the internet industry, next year is going to be a really powerful year. I also think there will probably be a recession. It will be painful for a lot of other people.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah, no, I was, my next question was going to ask you was how has the industry, the marketing industry, changed? But yeah, absolutely, the consumer spending online has really accelerated the last pandemic. Oh, and month. if you're
0: the most of the, again, most of the big agencies work with big companies, they're all crushed because big companies that move slowly all cut their marketing budgets immediately when COVID hit because that's what they do. Um, but the SMB space didn't because the cost to advertise dropped 30%, the market share over doubled. So if you're a smart e-commerce company, you stuck with it. Our average client doubled their revenue in Q2. So it was massive. And I don't think that trend is changing.
1: Absolutely. Speaking of which, I want to take a quick pivot, change, switch gears a little bit to more marketing. Um, yeah, what would you say? I'm sure you've interacted with a bunch of clients with their marketing campaigns, but what would you say, um, are the key components to launching a new marketing initiative? Yeah. So I,
0: I am funny enough we're writing a book about this, but basically it's, we, we look at three categories, awareness, nurturing, and trust. So make sure you're finding ways to build new awareness for your product, you know, whether it's Facebook ads, word of mouth, referral programs, Google, whatever. And that, listen, that's going to be an hour conversation of how to leverage that, but I'm trying to give a high level. And then once you create that awareness, understand that it takes time from someone when they first see an ad, to when they buy can take anywhere between two weeks and three months, sincerely, so on average. So understand that. And so during that period, make sure you're email marketing, using SMS, chatbots, all sorts of things to sort of nurture them along and bring them to a sale. And then also trust is that other pillar. So awareness, nurturing, and trust. Tr- you have to have trust with your customers. 75% of consumers won't purchase from a company they don't inherently trust. Trust in the beginning has gotten achieved through third-party validation, like press or influencers or testimonials, et cetera. And then as you build a brand and it becomes more known, consistency is what builds trust. So just delivering on your promises whether you know and what you stand for as a brand is what really builds that trust.
1: No, absolutely. Well, what would you say is the most successful marketing campaign you've been a part of or HawkMedia has been a part of?
0: Honestly, there's a giant list. It's, it's, so that's the thing. We're not campaign driven. We we try to build things that are scalable and build on themselves. So it's not like one campaign. So we wouldn't be the company that came up with the Geico Gecko. We try to just build an infrastructure and a marketing strategy that is ongoing and ever scaling. So the biggest success we'd have would be some of the biggest clients we've grown from nothing. Like we launched Barstool Sports E-Commerce Division. That has skyrocketed. We, you know, we've had a, we have a Tomorrow Mellon case study that's done really well. We have a lot of really good brands we took from nothing to massive and i'd say those there's a list of them but those are the good ones yeah, too much to count <laughs> <laughs>
1: um yeah no I'm, I'm really curious what's what's kind of a, a, an exciting marketing trend right now or social media trends from your perspective
0: uh the tiktok's not banned that's that's an excellent one. Um, honestly, like, and we we were the first agency to announce a partnership with TikTok. Like, we I think that that is going to be the next. They're really going to bite at the heels of Facebook and Instagram. A lot longer conversation, but the way it operates and the way the product works is very similar to those platforms. Not like Snapchat, not like Twitter, not like YouTube, and so not like Pinterest. Like, I think that TikTok really is the first player I've seen in a long time that has a chance to compete, and so they just need to do more work on their actual advertising product for advertisers. But once they build that out more robustly, I think there's going to be something really interesting there. And their algorithm, I think, is really interesting because it's it's much more real-time what people are trying to see than Instagram and Facebook. Facebook and Instagram's newsfeed algorithm aren't great versus TikTok's. TikTok's is like, what do you want to see right now? Because maybe tonight you want to see a bunch of people ranting about politics, and then tomorrow you want to see a bunch of people dancing. And then the next day you want to see a bunch of people riding motorcycles. It actually picks that up very quickly that what are the different categories you want to look at and what do you want right now? And I think that's going to capture an audience group. It's going to be interesting to see.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I'm assuming that you're on there doing your TikTok dances as well. Hundreds of them. No, (laughs) I I, I do have one (laughs) because we ended up doing a partnership with like, it's called the Sway House or like one of the most
0: famous TikTok groups. And we, uh, they sent me a sweatsuit. So I was like, well, I guess I got to go put this sweatsuit on and get on TikTok." So that's put that up. And then there's a video. I think of me, I broke my leg this summer. So I was rolling down the street on my knee scooter and got a video. My buddy got a video. I was like, this is going on TikTok too."
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's too funny. Um, yeah. My next question. Uh, I'm curious. What's, what's, I mean, you mentioned, uh, was it manscaped earlier? That's some, some brands that you're really. Oh, dollar like- shape. Crop, yeah. Code, yeah. What are some oh, brands? I,
0: but- do. I think they're doing great too.
1: Yeah, and what's I guess what's um, what's the relationship between marketing and sales? Because I know marketing is more of that authentic, awareness driven, um, and then sales more converting. But from your perspective, and if you're
0: a D two C brand, it's all marketing. There is no sales team. You can't spend time of a salesperson selling an individual razor from Dollar Shave Club. So there is no sales. It's both in B two B if it's like enterprise sales, a lot of times marketing is a support system for sales. It's where you get leads from some of it. And it's where you get collateral from where you get ongoing nurturing from. So it still plays the three categories and pillars I just talked about. But the end close usually comes from a salesperson, but marketing should be doing everything they can to bring in new leads and then warm those up as close to a sale as possible so that the salesperson has has a higher chance of closing and has to do less,
1: basically. So hypothetically, let's say a client gives you, let's say, 50% more budget. Uh, what sort of things would you uh, implement or try to do to get that ROI back?
0: Yeah, so w- w- usually it depends. So if, let's assume we're already covering our basis and now they're like, let's just scale. Most scale comes from spending on uh, advertising because most other things don't have that much of a scaling cost. So if I us say we're already spending $100,000 a month all went on a marketing strategy. Around that size, we're probably covering our basis on never, all the things we'd want to do from like a channel perspective and nurturing and trust. like Everything's going. So most of that extra 50 grand would probably go towards advertising because that's where you're going to get true scalability. It's the most expensive part, but it is the part where you can actually scale. Because let's say it's email marketing and SMS and chatbots and influencer marketing and PR and content and... Uh, your website and optimization, all that, none of that you need to scale uh, linearly with this growth of the business, advertising you do. So a lot of times, once we get to scale, we increase budgets to ads.
1: Gotcha. And once you get the customers through the door, I guess, how how do you provide that great, like, what's that great customer experience look like for you?
0: For Hawk or for our clients? Like, meaning, like, what Hawk provides or what we tell our clients to provide?
1: Or just you personally, what's, what is all good?
0: Yeah, so for my business, I mean, it's really just, the biggest thing we talk about this all the time is communication. So we have a weekly meeting with our clients to make sure we're on the same page. Like, our, our team knows how to market things. That's that's kind of table stakes at this point. We hire good marketers, we train good marketers, we keep them up to date. Like we have all the resources in the world to do so. So it's really just making sure we're on the same page with a client that's the like challenge. So things we've done, We every single week, we talk about the goalposts. What are we actually trying to achieve here? We also talk about what we did, what went right, what went wrong, what we're doing next. So expectations are always aligned. So that basically, again, our goal is not to be like the vendor, like you handle my marketing, you better do well. And it's more like we're on the same team here. Here's the options. What do you think? Let's do this together. And that's it. So um, yeah, it it really comes down to just being aligned. Because I think a lot of CEOs that end up being failed CEOs make the mistake of thinking when they hire vendors it's their job now and it's not my business. Same thing with executives. I've learned this lesson too. When you hire people, you still got to get them up to speed. You got to work with them. You got to be there to support them and enable them. If you think that, you know, what the moment you turn either your own employees or your vendors into a punching bag is the moment you lose your own business. Like they want this as much as you do. So the moment you turn it into an adversarial relationship, you're just screwing yourself. And I see that happen. Not a lot, but it happens, and it's always. I, at this point, I've been through it enough. You have to roll your eyes at it. You're like, you're just screwing yourself. Do You understand that? So I just yeah. dealt with it. I had to fire a client because he wouldn't stop berating my team. He was just rude. He would miss deadlines on deliverables, and they would tell our team they're a bunch of idiots. And finally, we're, like, we're done working for you. He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, no, we can't. Here's our contract. Here's our out. We're done. <laughs> like, Congratulations. Got, and you know, threatened, that I'm going to sue you, etc. So you could go ahead. You know, the the funny thing, again, for all the up and coming business owners here, lawsuits mean nothing. They never go to court. And even if they do, they mean nothing. And it's a waste of time for everyone. So like the idea of threatening a lawsuit is just shows ignorance in business. Doesn't like you have no grounds, doesn't mean anything. And even if you have grounds, everyone's got insurance too. So don't be an idiot. Um, But the point being like, that's a good example of like, we were on the phone and he's telling me that I'm an idiot and I have an employee roster of chat children like, interesting. Again, we've managed to grow successfully over 2,500 brands, but you're right. You must know better. And this guy's just watching his first card game. Um, and and, he, and again, just was never nice. Started off the bat being rude to my entire team. And so I'm like, we're done. Like There's no point in us. We've actually fulfilled our contract. We went above and beyond you, for you for a month. Tried to keep helping you. You haven't paid us for it. And now the time's up. Like We're done. We don't want any more money. We don't want to work with you anymore. And he's like, and he's yelling at me and cussing me out and then goes, but I need you to fix a video on my site. I'm like, you're really not understanding this. You're trying to indoctrine support right now because you need our help, but we do not want to help you because you are a dick. So you need to like, if you worked with us, if you called me and said, I need help, can you help me? You would get that help. But instead you called me, you berate me, you tell me my team's shitty, and then you ask me for something. Like That's not gonna go anywhere. We're done. And he, again, these like you, oh, you you mean that I have to earn your respect as the client? I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. You just can't be a dick. Like, and this is this is important, like for any business owner, because I have this, I'm a, I have many vendors too. I have people we hire to do things for Hawk too. And even if you're not happy with what they're doing, you should do everything you can to enable them and give them everything they need to hit the goals that you need and make sure that you've set the expectations and you're very clear on what you're going for and give them every opportunity to succeed, because that's how you win. If you don't do that, if you like, and I see this happen, people will like not share things with their vendors because they want to see what they can do for themselves. I'm like, you're testing your vendors. You know how that's going to work out. They're either going to do the same thing they could have done and fail that information and get it done right, or they're going to fail. And who gets hurt in that situation? So just <laughs> give them everything, help them out. And I mean, we've been very successful with that. We have vendors that we've worked with for five, six, seven years that we've stayed with because they they know what we need we're very articulate we go these are the things we need this is why and we're fair about it and we're and we communicate when we're not happy and we get what we need and it's that simple
1: absolutely yeah teamwork makes the dream work i always say that Exactly. Um, but yeah one thing that's i found i find interesting all the time though is what happens from a leadership's point of view what happens when the client is angry Ask the team, do you, is it the customer always right? Or is it you go with the team yeah. and how do you handle those types of situations?
0: I, I do my research. Uh, the, the problem is we deal with enough volatile entrepreneurs that aren't right. Cause they don't know that sometimes we, we I mean, I, it, most of the time, if it's actually getting on the, like we have 500 clients, I might deal with one or two angry clients a month out of 500 those people are, there's there's that percent. And I've noticed it's probably closer to like two or 3% of people are just unreasonable people. They're like they're 3% of people in the world are assholes. Just part of it. That being said, I don't assume that. I do my research. I read the exchanges. I look at what's happening. I ask the team what's going on. And most of the time, if it, or I'd say part, half the time if it's an angry client, we did something wrong. We miscommunicated something. There's a disconnect. And all it takes to fix that is for me to jump in Re-articulate, show that we care, and usually it's fixed. And again, it's not usually work because our people know how to market. It's usually some communication breakdown. I thought this was going to be done last week, and now it's going to be done next week. Or I thought, well, you know, my ads would run, and two weeks later I'd be a billionaire. We have things like that happen, even though we specifically say like six times in the onboarding process that takes months. We still get people that do that, but. So those are the kind of stuff we deal with. And then you get the unreasonable, like the one I was just mentioning, where it's just like, they just want, we, my partner put it best. We get hired for three reasons. Someone needs bandwidth. Someone needs expertise. Those two work out fine. The third reason, someone needs a punching bag. Once in a while, we get that person that literally just wants someone to berate and blame for their lack of success. And they hire us as like a last ditch effort. And then it's our fault. And that's where we, we try to avoid that on the upfront. But if we don't catch it, those are the people that sometimes we have to walk away. Because they're like, hey, if you want us to try to help you, we're in. If you just want to yell at us for your lack of success, we're not.
1: No, Absolutely. No, I love that. Just communication at the end of the day. Just communication, communication. Be, respect. communication.
0: Be respectful to people in both ways. Because I've made the mistake too, where I've, I've assumed a bad in a client because of something some, was said by my team and I've come out hot. And that's a mistake too. Like taking a beat, asking questions is the way to deal with all these kind of things.
1: Absolutely. No, I really appreciate uh, you being on the podcast. I only have a couple more questions here for you, Eric. Um, what's something that you're proud of that maybe we haven't touched on in the interview?
0: You know, I'm proud of not laying anyone off during COVID. I'm proud that we were able to, I'm proud of the way our team buckled down. I'm proud that we were able to build something. Like I have, I started my business in 2014. I have not dealt with a recession or any kind of decline in the market or anything that would have affected my business negatively other than our own actions. And we took our first really big event and the way our team showed up, the way everyone worked hard, the way we were able to get through this, like that, it's one of the more proud things in my career because yeah, there's accolades and awards and those are all fun. They're good PR hits, but like really what, what, what this did for me was me realize that this isn't a like short term flash in the pan business, but we have real staying power. Like we've come through something that should, could have easily ended our business. We've actually come through it really strong and stronger than we were before it. And I don't mean that from an emotional standpoint. I mean, we are having record months coming out of COVID. And so because the way we leaned in and all of our competitors are not, So it shows me that it it wasn't industry, it wasn't luck, like that my people and the way they work and the way they operated actually got us through this. And that is massively rewarding because it doesn't, it means that it's not, it by far isn't me. It's partially me. I did a lot too, but it's a team of 150 plus people that drove us through this, that allowed us to give raises, give bonuses and keep people employed. And, and people made sacrifices along the way in terms of working harder, et cetera, to get through it. But then again, we're now out the other side of this first event that uh, we're able to stick with it. So I'd say that's the biggest thing.
1: No, that's really cool. What's uh, what's next for Eric and Hawk Media?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're growth minded. So we're uh, we're hiring people in a bunch of major cities that we've targeted as places we want to have on the ground representation going forward. So we've really opened up our hiring. We just hired a head of HR out of Nashville, actually, which wasn't on the list, but she's awesome. So really stoked. On that. Um, so we're just, you know, we've opened up our hiring philosophy. We've really looked at expansion. Our, my hope is over the next year to prove out that territory expansion within the U.S. is powerful and then to start looking international. We already have international clients, but start being on the ground in those places. Our venture fund is crushing it. And so finishing the fundraise on that in closing would be really nice. Um, and... Yeah. I mean, we have a ton of initiatives, a book coming out, a podcast, our e-commerce week next week, or, you know, we have a huge list of things that we're putting together um, as we frankly now are getting bigger. So we're able to bring on new team members, bigger teams, build out more robust operations all remotely right now. So the other big thing is getting rid of our very expensive massive LA headquarters and replacing it with something that's a lot more of like a collaborative workspace, but not single desk to come work by yourself, but like come hang out, meet, even hopefully it could be a good weekend spot is my goal, and in the cost will be a fraction of what we spend right now, so we get to be more profitable and provide something that I think our team will like a lot more.
1: No, no that's really cool. I think you could you just quickly give a description of what Ecom Week is? Just for a little yeah, so yeah,
0: Ecom Week. Basically, we've thrown a brand summit the past three years in a row. Um, that's basically brings together 600 of the top brand run, like the founders of MeUndies and Dollar Shave Club and FabFitFun and Honest Company, etc. Um, to teach each other that what they're the best at and like really brought like kind of a mastermind together. And then a year and a half ago, I got asked to be on mayor uh, Eric Garcetti's tech council for the city of LA. And he, we chatted and I told him that I wanted to bring that community uh, together better because I thought LA is the best place to start a new e-commerce brand, but there's not a lot to build that community out. There's, it's getting better, but they don't really get to meet each other, et cetera. And so uh, I asked him if we could declare it like that week, the first week of October or the week of October 1st, every year e-commerce week. And he said, sure, let's do it. And so turns out I had to get approval from city council, which putting something through mayor, the mayor of LA and then the city council of LA takes a little time, but we nailed it within six months and got it approved exactly a year ago. And, uh, so this year is our first one so next week the idea is thing New York Fashion Week but for LA and e-commerce so we're going to have like every major e-commerce brand hosting events and doing launches and having all the vendors doing cool stuff too and since covid happened we decided to still do it but do it virtually to and hopefully build a great uh, sort of list and traction for next year to be that much bigger and, uh, so yeah, so where you have, it's a week long virtual event start Monday through Friday next week. So September 28th, to October 2nd. Um, and we're expecting over 10,000 people. So it's, it's
1: a fun one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Like I said, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, Eric, uh, where can our listeners connect with you online so, so they could provide value for you <laughs> no on any of the social
0: platforms, just add or slash Eric Huberman. Pretty easy.
1: Cool. And since we're a marketing and branding podcast, um, I always love to ask my last question, What's um, what the guest brands, if they could describe it in one word or phrase would be. So my last question to you, Eric, is what's one word or phrase to describe Eric Huberman's brand?
0: So phrase, outsource CMO, This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.